Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops, a former D1 Hooper and current teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Amari Sacco for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. And of course, we're always blessed to be joined by our producer, Wes Davenport. And today on Sunday morning, we are coming to you from three different time zones. Wes and I, we're a little bit mid-morning. Amari, if you're still looking a little sleepy, it is 7 a.m. out in L. I think you're in L.A., right? Still? I'm in L.A., yeah. yeah so he, he's out in L.A. You got the sun shining in his face. Me and Wes are a little bit jealous. It's, it's not quite sunny where we're at in Michigan and Kansas. Amari's up early, but Amari, you got the sun in your face, at least compared to what Wes and I have right now. The sun in my face helps. You know, I feel like the last three to four days, I've just been like a blur. Um, <laughs> so anything that, that keeps me up at this point, whether it's caffeine or the sun directly in my face, like I was going to sit on this side of the hotel and I was like, you know what, I'm going to move over here and have the sun directly glaring on me to perk me up a little bit. So we're good. We're good. Nice weather out here in LA and I have no complaints. Yeah. It's interesting that the morning I was driving to every Sunday morning, I got to get up early, drive to a business I own. And I was making that drive and it was the first, I was like, man, I'm kind of like exhausted here with all this NBA content. I'm so fortunate to have the Pistons Pulse and Game Theory. And I started the Substack and all of those things, but the deadline wears people out. And here's the thing, Omari, I don't write like what you write. I can't imagine what you guys are doing with all the words you have to write and the deadlines you have to hit and all of that. All I do is get on here and yak my gums and talk, you know? So yeah, I feel like the deadline, especially with games, right? It's not like they stopped the games. There was a game on Wednesday. There was a game on Thursday. Then they played on Saturday. It just, it, it has to feel like two more games and then all-star break. That's got to feel like a little bit of time for you to take a deep breath and relax, right? Like you have to be looking forward to that just a little bit. Yeah, this past week, really the last four days, I've probably been my busiest four or five day stretch on this job in a while. I know I kind of recapped it when we did our uh, post deadline pot on Thursday. No, it was Thursday, right? Yeah, that Thursday. Was Thursday. Thursday. <laughs> yeah, but you know, yeah, briefly, yeah, I flew out to Portland Wednesday, watched the game Sacramento that night, and then two trades happened that day as well. So it was just like nine hours of travel to get to Portland, reporting on trades, and then you have a game to watch. The next day was the same, except without the flight. But of course, they made a lot of deals. Like I was on West Coast time. So I woke up at like 8 a.m. Like I was still like kind of jet lagged. And then they made a trade like 10 minutes later. And I'm like, all right, here we go. Had a game that night. Friday flew to L.A. But before that, we talked to Troy Weaver like 7 a.m. Oh, yeah, yeah. West Coast time. So I still had to wake up early the next yeah. day to talk to Troy. And then yesterday had a 12.30 game. So I was at the arena about 10 a.m. And then finally today, so it's like three games in four days while you're traveling on the West Coast, you have multiple flights, while you're covering trades because of the trade deadline, multiple interviews, and then we finally get to, to today and I'm doing the pod and I feel like I've thoroughly earned this this all-star break coming up. So it's been fun though. It's like it's like one of those things where you're like running around nonstop and if you kind of look at everything that's happened and you're covering like eight new guys and the team just in a completely different place, like. It's been a fun week. Like, it's been a really long week, but it's been fun. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things until I got to know you and work with you and do the pod with you. I was like, man, the life of a beat writer has to be amazing, right? You're around these NBA players and you get to interview them and go to practices and travel and all of that. And, and I don't think you're complaining by any means. No, I think you love all. what you do, but there is a side of it that's just 
hectic and crazy and nonstop and one thing after the other. I couldn't do it because I'm very schedule oriented and, and like just having my schedule all the, over the place would be crazy to me. I want to get to some comments here real quick, Amari. So Maurice Hood says, first time I caught the live show. Cool. Philip Bender says, finally watching the pod live. Will J. I love Will J. He always pops in. Thank you for the show, guys. We'll listen this afternoon. Also, if you get a chance later, I'd be sweet. Yeah, so we'll take some questions, guys. If you're watching live here, we can get to that stuff. But Will J, appreciate you always pop in. Let us know that you're going to listen. We appreciate that. Also, Amari, quick shout out to the more than 300, almost 300, I should say, live viewers on Thursday for that trade deadline. That's probably going to be our most watched and listened to pod of our 110 episodes now. So shout out everybody. Shout out Troy Weaver in the front office for all the moves they made. So people wanted to tune in um, because it could have been the Chicago Bulls or the Atlanta Hawks who didn't make a move at all. And we wouldn't have had anything to talk about. So no. Before we get to that stuff, let's actually talk about... Well, actually, I want to watch you ask you about Gallo. And then I want to talk about the actual games that were played, Amari, because the Pistons have sneakily played some good basketball the last three. So real quick here, Danilo Gallinari got waived after we had recorded. Any insights into that situation or what may be used with that roster spot? I know Weaver said they're always using looking for players and talent. I'm sure some of the fan base is going to point to Stanley Amude. Any perspective on Gallo getting waived and what may happen with that roster spot? Yeah, it's funny because he was not uh, with the team before that game last week. And people asked about it. And at that point, you know, I wasn't sure what was going on. And I don't know, being the first one to news, like a few hours later, like, you know, Bilo Gunhari is getting waived, which, you know, I think was disappointing news for a lot of fans, just given that he had played pretty well. Uh, especially relative to expectations. I did it today. He's a guy who's 35 years old, limited opportunities to to bring hot. You know, so I think the Pistons were happy to accommodate him. He still keep Mike Muscala, who, uh, of course, has played really well for this team since they acquired him as well. And then you have that roster spot open. So which direction they go with that, I think, remains to be seen. People have talked about Stanley um, I'd be curious to see if anything happens there, but you also have a pretty healthy buyout market right now, including some recent first round picks who just haven't worked out. You have a guy like James Booknight who never really found any traction at all in Charlotte, you know, for whatever reason. And I know that he was a guy that the front office liked back in that draft. Do they go after him and give him a shot? You know, I don't know at this point, but there's a lot of different ways that they could go with that. Um, they added some veterans at the deadline. They balanced the roster out. You know, I'm curious if there is not enough room for them to take a flyer on just one young guy, right? You know, Book Knight, he's a 6'5", wing, you know, didn't shoot the ball well in college, but, you know, great athlete, really good at getting downhill. Um, kind of fits with the organization, kind of needs still at that wing position. So I'll be I'll be curious if anything happens there, but as of now, I have nothing to report as far as um, – which direction they're going to go. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that was interesting to me was this team had 19 guys on the roster. You wave four to get to 15, and then it's a few hours later, at least whenever it came out, and then they waved Gallo opening a roster spot. I just thought that was interesting. Instead of making Gallo one of the waves, 
you made to get to 15. So, but maybe the team, like you said, maybe they wanted an open roster spot to either show some love. Like Michael says, why take a Moutier off a two-way at this point? Like my thing is just give him some love, build some relationship with his agent and him. If you think there's a real future there, if you feel like he earned it. So that's the caveat, right? Like they feel like he's done everything the way they wanted and showed progress, et cetera, et cetera. You just throw a guy a bone to be like, hey, we see you, we appreciate you. And that builds some, like I say, chemistry and all of that between the organization and the player or the agent. I'm really interested to see where Gallo goes. Omari, I'm really interested for the buyout market in general, like just the NBA in general. I think we've heard Spencer Dinwiddie is going to end up with the Lakers. Kyle Lowry is going to end up with the Sixers. And there's some restrictions on some of the buyout market as well. Apram teams are not allowed to sign guys that are making over the taxpayer mid-level. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out with the NBA in general. Let's talk about the games, Amari, because again, we had this crazy Wednesday. We had this crazy Thursday. We have all these new players to talk about. We saw a few of them in action on Saturday and quite honestly playing well. But let's go back to the Kings game where Detroit goes into Sacramento without Cade, without Boyan. They actually started Killian Hayes, who we've talked about gets waived a couple days later. They go into Sacramento and get a win. Then they beat the Blazers on the second night of a back-to-back, coming back from 20 down. Let's save yesterday's game for right now because that's a different roster. What did you think? You know, those back-to-back games, Wednesday, Thursday, win over the Kings, win over the Blazers. Ivy's playing well. Cade, I think, is in a role that makes more sense in what he wants. What did you think about those couple games? Yeah, they were really good for D- Detroit. Said. I mean, they really, for the first time this season, um, looked like they're starting to sustain strong play and really figure out who they are as a team. Because coming, even coming into the game against the Clippers Saturday, which was pretty back and forth, in the previous eight games, they were four and four. And then before that, they had won five, I think, of their last 12. And you had a win over OKC in that span, too. Just going back to last week, I think what really stood out about it, besides the fact that they won, is just the nature of the wins where both nights you are limited by injuries and the trade market. And you're also on the road, you know, starting off a West Coast wing with a back-to-back. So those are just, you look at the schedule and you're like, these these look like schedule losses, right? Like yeah. any team that does the amount of trades, the Pistons have done, you're starting a road trip, it's just going to be tough to win. And that's not what happened. Like they went to Sacramento, uh, Jaden Ivey scored a career high 37 points. Darren had a really good game and they just went in there and they handled business. Um, I don't even think they had Kate in that game, you know, which they had traded Monte Morris earlier that day. Like they were really shorthanded and they shot the ball well. Like they played defense down the stretch. Uh, just they were on it. You know, they were on it. And despite being shorthanded, they uh, came through. And I was not at that game because I was in Portland, but I was in Portland the next day for that one. And, uh, you know, they were down 23 um, <laughs> in the third quarter. And, uh, you know, I kind of sarcastically tweeted, like, it's, you know, it's Friday night. Like, you guys you were telling to, people to go to bed. Thursday. <laughs> I was like, you know, y'all don't have to stay up. Like, I've done that a few times this season. Like, I remember they were getting blown out in Orlando. Like, it was like Friday night. I'm like, y'all can just go to bed. Y'all don't have to watch this one. So I did the same thing. And then they clawed the way to force overtime like they completely dominated like probably the last 10 11 minutes of the game uh, marcus sasser who struggled stepped up and had some really really big threes had some big steals Jalen duran got turned up defensively especially in the last six seven minutes of the game uh portland has some injuries on their end um and 
it was just like the perfect storm for Detroit to come back and, and, and grab that one. And the locker room after was just so happy. It was like six, seven dudes in that locker room. It was just completely okay, so empty. Yeah. Real quick, I want some more perspective on that because you don't often tweet yeah. about the locker room after games. And I don't like I don't think you're yeah. trying to be like secretive or whatever, but it stood out to me just as someone that has followed you for years now, even before we became friends and co-hosting a podcast and all of that, that like you specifically mentioned, this is one of the happier locker rooms I've seen after a game. Like it just, was it because of kind of the intimate nature of how many players there were or just the comeback? What what was kind of the vibe, I guess? Because I found that very interesting. Yeah. Um, I think especially the past year, you know, they had just won so few games that the locker rooms after, for the most part, had been a bit more subdued you know, an attitude and, and, and personality. I mean, you can really kind of sense the energy of the game in the locker room after, whether it was, you know, a disappointing loss or an unexpected win. Um, you know, you can feel those emotions in the locker room afterward. And after any win, it's always going to be a lot more upbeat. Guys are going to be a lot more, like, loose and in a joking mood, playing music, and we did have some of that. But it was also just the fact that out of the main roster, you had seven guys. <laughs> And like Jared Roden and Stanley Umu Day, pretty much since early November, they've been with the Motor City crew. So we hadn't even really seen those guys in a while. And they took a flight out to Portland on Thursday because of all the trades that took place. So really just from the main roster, there were seven guys that we had consistently seen all season, right? Like you have Cade, you have JD, Ivy, Wiseman, Sasser. And there's two players that are not Asar Thompson, um, somebody else, but just to go in there and like, I think one, just how few players were in there was like sort of funny because you look at the bench, they have like four guys <laughs> just to sub in for the starters and you go in and it's like, man, like they really cleared this roster out. Like there's nobody in here. And, you know, then just how, how, how loose guys were like, Kate was like, everybody was complimenting each other. Like Kate was like hyping up Sasser for the shots he hit. And everybody was just like, it was very much like a, like a us against the world type of attitude in there where all the guys are just really happy that everybody stepped up and came through. Like it, it was just a really fun environment. And I think that this along with how a few guys were in there really sort of hammered home just how different the past few days have been, right? Like you trade all the veterans, like we've seen Bogey, Burks, like all these guys all season and now they're gone. And it was just the young guys and they pulled off that win and it was just a really festive atmosphere. So that's probably one of the more memorable locker rooms uh, since I've covered this team over the last four years. It's really interesting as people kind of talk about this win. Yes, the Blazers were depleted. And as you mentioned, the Pistons were also, but like this was, this was the games they weren't winning during the losing streak, Amar, you know, whenever they lost all those games, it was like, there's these games on the schedule that are potential wins and that they could go win and they weren't able to do it and, and all of those things. And it was like, it, finally, they found a way. I have some notes from the comeback that I thought were really interesting. They're down 23 late in the third. And then the response started. They kept pressuring the rim. They got to the free throw line, even though they didn't always go two for two. They got some stops. I thought a really nice move. And again, like I know people still really dislike Monty Williams. I'm starting to see some things that I like. Maybe it hasn't happened as fast as everybody wanted, whether this is his decision or not, but they go zone late in the third. They stay in it to start the fourth. 
And I think we've seen slowly, you mentioned some of the defense. We've seen the defense start to do some nice things. Duran was giving really nice rim protection in the mid-fourth. Asar was solid defense on Jeremy Grant. And then down five with two minutes to go in the fourth, it wasn't looking great, Amari. They double-teamed Jeremy Grant between Asar and Sasser, led to a turnover, Sasser three-pointer. Cade hits a clutch mid-range jumper. They get another nice double-team that ended up in a transition dunk, I believe, for Asar to tie the game. And then they almost won the game in regulation. They doubled again and got another steal where Sasser just wasn't able to finish that layup right at the buzzer. So I wanted to give, I guess, Monte Williams or whoever's making the defensive decisions right now some love for going zone, the traps, but also the players for executing those things coming out. And you can just see some of the rotations, some of the double teaming happened in the Clippers game as well. But, you know, even Jalen Duran, his verticality and rim protection. I thought Asar, Sasser, and Duran were really good defensively, especially in the fourth quarter and overtime of that game. I thought so, too. You look at the, the turnovers they forced late. You look at JD, um, a guy who doesn't get a lot of blocks, but he's like stonewalling guys at, at the rim. And there was just a verve, I think, they had on defense that they haven't really had for the majority of this season. And the reasons for that, some of it could just be young guys starting to figure things out, like a star and Sasser. Of course, they've been pretty good defensively all season, but they've also had some moments where they haven't been. You know, Sar, you know, just fouling a bit too much and no Sasser get give it up size, but uh, they 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 really locked in down the stretch. Ivy's been a lot better, I think, over the last how many games have they played? Like fifty. I think it's last twenty five games. I've been so much stronger than his first twenty five. As far as just the awareness and effort he's showing on the defensive end, you know, it probably helps that you know you have two guys and Bogey and Burks who have scored a lot of points for this team, but they're also not the strongest defensively. And you know, I think opposing teams really capitalized on that. So to an extent, you know, I think just placing some of these guys in a bigger roles by necessity, that's a defensive upgrade in that. And now you even look now you have Fontecchio, you have Quentin Grimes, you have more guys who can really sort of limit that dribble penetration. I actually asked um Monty Williams before the game against the Clippers yesterday. We hadn't really seen Jalen Duran position himself to block shots the way he did against Portland late. He hasn't averaged more than a black per game in either of his two seasons yet. And obviously, blacks are just one measure of run protection. Not even a great measure of run protection even, but, you know, I just asked about his positioning and if he wants to see that more. And, and Monty actually said, you put more pressure on the wing defenders almost to limit the penetration to begin with because you don't want the center to have to be your primary line of, of, of defense, right? It starts up, up front. So I thought that was interesting, but you look at the, the moves that they did where you did not acquire a protecting center, uh, but you do have wings that can just upgrade the perimeter aspect of it. And I think you're, you're starting to see some of that pay off, right? You have guys who can stay in front of their assignments, like plus athletes, like Asar Sasser. They're getting more minutes just because of the players who are traded ahead of them. And the team just seems like it has more connectiveness on that end of the floor compared to early on. Well, and they had a really good one in the Clippers. I thought defensively they were pretty good against the Clippers for most of the game. And then the yeah. Clippers just have Kawhi Leonard. The Clippers have Paul George. The Clippers have James Harden. You know, Amir Coffey came in, who's been really good for them this year. And he made some shots. Like, they made plays. The offense stagnated for just a little bit too long for Detroit on Saturday. But my favorite possession of the year 
Cade is on Kawhi, and I will get. I want to give Cade some love as well. I think he's done a good job the last three or four games. Hasn't been every possession or all game, but definitely isolated possessions against some bigger wings, holding up really well. I think it was, you know, Jeremy Grant in the Blazers game, and then Kawhi and PG a couple times in this game. But he's on Kawhi. Ivy comes to double. They execute it perfectly. They run Kawhi into the corner. Kawhi tries to throw a skip pass to Paul George on the weak side. And Asar is aware and just a top 5% athlete in the league. He gets a steal and a run out dunk. Like, I just think this team is executing things like that so much better. They're trapping. They're rotating out of the traps. Even just rotations in general when they're in scramble mode are better. I'm not saying it's perfect. All I'm saying it is better. And here's the thing. And we're about to talk about these guys a little bit more. I think Fontecchio helps that. I don't think he's like a lockdown wing defender by any means, Omari. But I thought he moved his feet really well. I thought he understood positioning. If they're going to play Troy Brown and Shake Milton, I think those guys do that. And at the end of the day, Quentin Grimes' real upside is the defensive end, right? Like, yes, he can shoot the ball. But also, it's can this guy really come in and guard? So they've added those guys to this, I, I, it's really interesting. Like I, I'm, I can see the vision defensively, and we started to see it play out just a little bit. I'm excited to see what it does more. That's the games here. We probably need to give Jaden Ivey some love at some point. Talk about him specifically. Maybe we do that right after this break. But then we also got to get into Simone Fontecchio's debut. I mentioned Troy Brown Jr., Shake Milton, Quentin Grimes will play eventually. We got to get into that stuff a little bit more now that we've had a couple days to digest it. No, no doubt, no doubt. Um, there's just it just feels like a new team. I think in a lot of ways after this past week. So we'll wrap up segment one, and then when we uh, get into segment two, we will talk about some some of the new guys and also just how it was Jaden Ivey's play recently. All right, we are back with segment two. Let's talk about J.I. real quick just yeah. because he really has, I think, improved his game in a lot of ways. And we've talked, even earlier in the season, we talked about just how much better he seemed as far as being in control of his speed, of his handle finishing at the rim, ever still seeing those things. But I think really in the past two weeks, especially, it seems like that's hit an even different level. You look at his numbers on the season now. He is after this hot streak he's had from three, he's up to 37.4% from three this season. He's shooting 46% overall. And really the only knock is that he's 72% at the line and his free throw struggles kind of make you wonder uh, how sustainable the shooting is. But along with that, he's just been good. Uh, He's been so much better since he became a full-time starter uh, back in December. I'm about to pull his numbers up now on basketball reference because he started every single game since the 18th of December. That's a 26-game stretch. So in that span, he's averaging 19 points, 4.8 rebounds, 4.6 assists, shooting 46.9% overall and 41.9% from three. That's a 26-game sample size. So in a lot of ways, he's been, I think, a top-two player on this team for an extended period. Just what stood out about his improvements in that span, Bryce? Well, I think it's the process and the way he goes about his decisions. There was a very specific game play in the Clippers game where it's mid-second quarter, he has been on a historic shooting streak, Amari. I don't know if everybody got to see the broadcast. He hit 12 straight threes. 
between these last three or four games. That's tied for the sixth best streak all time. Really, it's the third because like second place has five guys tied for second. So the best ever was 14. And then there was like four guys tied with 13. And then 12 is the next. Fun fact here, Shake Milton is actually one of those that had made 13 in a row. And there were three total Pistons on that graphic. Do you happen to know the two? The, the other two that go with Jay Nivey? One was in two, just a few years. So they were all before Langston Galloway and then Terry Mills. I just, there was seven people on the thing and three of them were Pistons. I just thought it was interesting or they did it with the Pistons. So, but he's on a historic shooting streak from three for him. And in the second quarter, he's in transition. He could pull up and shoot a transition three, but he hesitates makes James Harden commit just a little bit and then attacks him downhill. And we know he has this elite first step. You and I have talked about this since the draft process, Amari, about how J.I. would come into the NBA with an elite first step. He showed it off there. He got the finish. I just, the fact that he's shooting so well from three, but is still showing discretion and processing to turn some of them down and get to the rim, I think is big time. He's been really good, man. Every game I watch, how many dudes get to the rim with as much ease as Jay Nivey? I just don't think there's that many. I, I, there's multiple, right? It's not like he's the best in the league at it, but he does it really, really well. And he can do it on ball, off ball, in transition, in the half court. There's some still some processing stuff. I think the floater has to get better. I talked about it. His passes are like off target. He's unselfish and he sees the passes, but he throws them off target. And some of his finishing goes in and out. I think he's been really, really good. And then you mentioned earlier, I think the defense has been the biggest area of improvement with Jaden Ivey. I think he has truly, truly made huge strides on that end of the floor. Yeah, I agree with all of those points. Um, I'll talk about his first step first because he, that was the main appeal. I think of drafting him and he came out of Purdue. And last season, uh, he, w- he was fast, but he was still developing the rest of his game around that where sometimes he would get too fast for his handle yep. or he would get so fast that it's like he would get to the rim quicker than he was ready for and then he would break the layup. Yep. Uh, we saw that a lot last season. We haven't seen as much of that this season at all. And what's been impressive is that I still think his handle has a long way to go. Um, you know, like north-south, he's, he's, he's great, but as soon as it requires a little bit of wiggle, you still see some breakdowns in his handle. He mentioned his floater. He still has some improvements he can make. But yeah, I maybe mean, saw it against the Clippers. We've seen it um, in all his recent games. Like he's just so quick. And I think he's exactly aware of how fast he is and how defenders are going to play him. And he's generated a lot of offense just off of that. Um, somebody got a clip from uh, last last night's game against the Clippers where he just brings the ball up full court around half court. He has a, a stutter step. Uh, to make the defense commit a little bit. And then he just glides right past them. And stuff like that, that's just, you talk about it like an engine for your offense. That's something that defenses cannot properly game plan for. And it just makes everybody else's life so much easier, especially when you have shooters around who can knock down shots. Um, you, you couple that as well. And I thought Kay played a really good game against the Clippers. I where- agree. He didn't even take, he didn't even make his first shot, I think, until midway through the second quarter. But he had only taken like two or three up until that point. He's getting blitzed. He's getting run off the line. He's getting trapped. And he's just moving the ball, finding open shooters, like making the simple plays. And in the past, we've seen him try to play through that, and it just doesn't work. And like yesterday, he just 
played through the flow of the game. Like, Let me ask you something real quick. I thought he had more energy at the end of the game. I thought that, I thought yesterday was a game where it's like, and we're going to come back to J.I., but I was like, this is who Cade wants to be. Going back to how he played at Oklahoma State, Omari, where, like you said, he just sprayed the ball to shooters, and then fourth quarter over. I don't want it to get too heliocentric, but he got to his spots. He just missed some of them mid-fourth. He made them later in the fourth. I thought he really, really had the energy late in the game, defensively and offensively. I thought that game kind of was really a microcosm of who he wants to be and how he wants to play. 100%. Um, I agree with that. And when K is being blitzed like that, it also just opens up so much for Jaden Ivey. Like he needs to be in attack mode. And he's done that. And I also think he's like less more like an off guard rather than like a point guard in that stretch. And I know that that's, you know, it's like the latter NBA. So you have like multiple guys who would initiate, but there's been so much debate as far as that. And you really just want J.I. in attack mode, not not thinking. Like he's going to make, you know, the right reads here and there, but you don't want him necessarily being like the table setter. You want him to bring chaos, right? You have Cade who can be the, the table setter. And when he's being this and double team like that, you know, J.I. is going to be the primary guy who's taking advantage of that. And I thought he did that. Yeah. So I, I want to, so Team Savant says Cade played terrible in the fourth. And Jared from Twitter says, Cade came alive in garbage time. Like I said, I thought he got to his spots in the mid fourth when they really needed him to get buckets and he missed them. So I guess like to your guys's point, yes, if that's, you know, and he had one bad turnover in that stretch. I don't know that I would say it was straight garbage time, Jared, but yes, like it was, I think they had got to 11 or 12. Like the Pistons truly made a comeback when he was getting those buckets. Still, I think that that's kind of the process of how he wants to navigate a game in general. Let's get back to J.I. So Will J. said earlier, do you believe in Ivy's three-point shooting? So you gave the numbers. I think before the Clippers games, I wrote this out. He was up to 38% on over four attempts on the year. In his last three games, he was at 78% on six attempts. Last seven games, 62%. Last 11 games, 56 So obviously, he's on a little bit of a heater and hot streak. But just in general, I think he's always going to be a guy that maybe fluctuates up and down. But I truly think at the end of each season of his career, we can be looking at a guy that's 35 36% on, what, four to five attempts a game? And with everything else he can do, I think that's all he has to be as a shooter. I agree. I feel like 36% is probably closer to his range. And if it's 37, then, you know, I think you take that with joy. But even 36, like he's just so quick that he doesn't really need a lot of space to even get to the rim. You know, so I think he's always going to be able to generate pretty good three-point looks for himself, especially next 2K. And he was streaky in college, like he was streaky last season. He's been streaky this year, even though this is probably the best year he's had as a shooter um, so far, like looking at college and the NBA. So you look at with 30 games left, how much longer will he sustain it? And does he go through a slump at some point that knocks that percentage down? Uh, so that's something I'll be looking for as we get into the last third of the season here. But I think the, the the biggest factor with that, too, is just as good as he's played since he became a starter, he's only shooting, I think, 68 percent. Um, yeah, he's shooting 68 percent at the free throw line in that same stretch, which is not good. Um, of course, like that's closer to like probably what the average shooter center shoots from the line and not you're starting to. So he's got to improve as a shooter in general, whether it's from three or at the line and his struggles at the line have been. I think pretty tough to explain or rationalize, but I think you look at that and that still shows that um, 
I don't want to say his streak from three is smoking beers because he's he's not getting shots now on on high, on high value. I'm not taking that away, but he still has he still has to make some strides as far as the consistency as well because it doesn't make sense to shoot that good from three but also shoot that poorly at the line. Right? Usually, you see a correlation there. Yeah. So Ben says, and then we will because we need to talk about Simone and and some of these other things. But Ben says. Ivy's made a leap, even improving his defense. Is it time to flip the narrative? So we have a pro Monty comment here, narrative that Monty Williams screwed up at the beginning of the season and he actually knew how to motivate J.I. I'll give my quick take on this. I don't think we know the answer to that, right? Was this going to happen anyway? Was it just a case of getting more minutes? Was it a case of, hey, he gets the playing time? Or was there a true learning experience here for Jay Nivey of, Maybe he wasn't doing what he was supposed to in practices, in training, whatever. I know it's still probably inexcusable that it was Killian Hayes that was playing those minutes over him. Maybe they looked at it as a chance to give Hayes some run to figure out for a final time. And again, I understand if people say you didn't need to see any more data. I get it. I'm not defending it. I'm just saying I'm always trying to think of what could have been the thought process. I don't think we'll ever know exactly unless J.I. comes out and says it. One thing I have come away from this thinking about, think about how J.I. handled that Omari. Jaden Ivey came out of an exceptional rookie year where he was the number five pick. He never once complained. It was us. Like it was people like me complaining about Jaden Ivey not getting enough playing time or not starting. We never saw him, at least publicly, complain about this. On the bench, he was still engaged, being a great teammate. I give Jay a lot of credit for how he handled that situation and whether it was directly from that or not. Now he's playing some of his best. I think absolutely the best basketball of his young career. And again, anybody still selling Jay Nivey stock, you can sell it to me. I'm still buying all of it. Yeah, I feel like I feel like discussing Matsi's treatment. Um, I don't want to say treatment. I'll say handling of J.I. It's like a minefield because you have <laughs> a lot of people who are like passionately against, um, you know, just how little Ivy was playing. One thing I do push back on a bit is that people talk about J.I. as though he was picking up DNPs and, never, sure. never, and that was never the case. It should have been playing more probably, but people kind of talk about him like he was just languishing on the bench. That's not really <laughs> the situation. Like he's always played for this season. It's not like Monty just wasn't playing him. Um, but we have seen, I think, a big improvement in Ivy's effort on defense um, you know, since the first half of the season so far, like ever since he became that full-time starter, I think we've seen a noticeable improvement in his defense. Um, and I think a lot of the reason why Bonte played Killian over um, J.I. was because not just the defense, but I think specifically the, the mistakes J.I. makes on defense, I think were the type of mistakes that just really, really, really irk head coaches. And you have Monty who's trying to set some sort of standard as far as just your effort on that end. And people will, of course, have quibbles with Killian being the guy who played over J.I., given that, you know, Killian leaves so much to be desired on the offensive end. So I'm not def- defending that. I will say J.I.'s defense has improved a lot. Like he was, I think, a destructively bad defender to start the season, and that's not the case anymore. Um, and I do think that him having to earn his way onto the floor through his defense, right? Like he was getting best whenever he would jump into three-point shooters, which he was doing a good amount. Like he's cut down on a lot of those bad habits. And I do think that Monty's tough coaching on him has been a factor in that. You know, so, you know, if you want to say, Josh should never play behind Killian Hayes, I think that's fair. 
but I also do think that putting J.I. in a position where he had to work to get those minutes and really polish up his defense, knowing long-term that J.I. has to be a plus defender to really maximize that fit next to Cade. And seeing what he's doing now where he's playing so well, it's not like it crushed his confidence, right? Like he took it in stride. He still said the right things. His energy was still there. And then when he actually got that starting job back, he's played the best basketball of his career, you know? So you could talk about the process. You could critique the process, but I think the result for J.I. has been really, really good. Um, you know, it's not, to me, it's not like a motivational thing. It's just more so a stop following shooters, stop, you know, making some of these mental mistakes you keep making. And he's re- responded to that, you know, like people are, are going to quibble with the process. And I think that's fair, but I think the result has been really good for J.I. Yeah. And I'll just say, because in general, I want to give the players the credit or the critique or whatever. So I want to make sure the emphasis and the focus is still on Jay Nivey and him taking the initiative to get better and play the way he's playing. And it's awesome because it's a huge part of whether this thing pans out or not. Right. We can talk about the trade deadline and this and that and this move. At the end of the day, Cade, Jaden, Durin, Assault, and even to a lesser extent, Sasser and students, those guys have to be dudes. Like to me, this whole thing truly hinges on the Cade, Jaden Ivey backcourt. Like in my opinion, like those two guys have to be a big time backcourt for this thing to really play out moving forward. And I've told Wes this, again, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not at all defending Monte Williams for trying to see what Killian Hayes was. But I can tell you guys, coaches have egos. I've been there. As a coach, you walk in and you're like, I can be the guy that can untap what this player has, what this player is missing. And whether we want to believe it or not, like people had Killian Hayes number one on their draft board. He went number seven. Like all of these things actually happened. So people saw talent in Killian Hayes. It's not surprising to me that NBA head coach who, shocker, have egos, just like me, a high school coach has an ego about being the guy that can come in and untap and you know find that potential and that talent in that player. Obviously, it didn't work out. We don't have to talk about it anymore. Hopefully, Killian Hayes finds his footing in, in his NBA career somewhere else. Let's talk about Simone Fontecchio. Let's talk about him because this was a trade that was interesting to me how much it was critiqued. Where are you at with this trade, right? We gave our instant analysis. If anybody's looking for that instant analysis, Amari, they can go, you know, back to Thursday. I just got the Tech 19 reference. Holy cow. I was wondering what was going on there and I just figured it out. Thank you, Wes, for putting that up while I was talking. So I was able to connect the dots. Uh, QT says, Fontecchio got game. Where are you at with that trade and in his play on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I think of all the deals the Pistons did, like giving up that second round pick for, you know, a guy who come into play immediately. It's probably the most pure win of a trade. Like, I think some people probably quibble with just that being a high second round pick. Um, I think the Pistons have drafted enough players over the last few years. So that wasn't to be a significant asset in the grand scheme of the rebuild to part with, especially when you're getting a guy in Fontecchio who just fits this roster like a glove, like, Perfectly. And for his first game with the team, um, I actually wrote about this yesterday around today, I think. But like those guys on Saturday, they had no practice. They had no shoot around. They joined the team Friday night after taking their physicals in Detroit. They had a layover in Denver. So, you know, just this long trip to get to Detroit to join the team the night before the game. And then the game is at 1230 p.m. So you don't have a morning shoot around. Like you have a very brief walkthrough. They watched 30 minutes of film. 
Nefontake, he'll scores 20 points and nine rebounds. And he was literally just out there hooping. He didn't know what was going on. He had, he had the coaching staff and Kay walking him through terminology and plays as the game was going on. And it's funny, too, because his first two possessions were a turnover and like a airball three. Airball three in transition. Not good start. You know, and you look at it and it's like, yeah, he looks like a guy that just got here and doesn't know what's going on. But then that second three fell. And pretty much from that point on, you know, I thought he was pretty good. And that's like the floor, right? That's what he did. He was three and nine from three. He didn't even shoot it that great, Amari. Didn't even shoot it that great. You know, that's what he did. Just no prep at all. Like just joined the team, just met his teammates, like. Just out there hooping, right? So that's, he is a really good fit for this team. He doesn't need the ball. He's a catch and shoot guy. He could also play make a little bit. We saw him take guys off the dribble a few times. And I've seen people talk about how he's a, a sneaky good athlete. Um, and, you know, things on the lines of that. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing him play a l- little bit more. Like whenever I saw him play for Utah, I was always impressed by him. And now you have 30 games left to really evaluate that fit in Detroit. And I think all the signs on Saturday were that he's going to be a really good player for us. All right, let's stay on Fontecchio. We're going to go to a short break. When we come back, we'll talk about him. There's some other players on the roster and and starting lineups, rotation stuff. We'll get to all that. I know there are some questions as well. We'll get to, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on all of that before we break or before we, we shut it down, but we're going to go to a quick break right here. All right, we are back with segment three, our final segment. And we're going to keep uh, talking about Simone Fontecchio. We have a question here from Bub Freak. Hey, guys, thanks for the morning shift. Ideally, where does Simone fit on next season's roster? Three or four starter or bench? Um, and I think the beauty of that is that he could do all of those things, right? You know, maybe they upgrade to four over the offseason. I think that remains to be seen. But I think either way, you probably feel pretty good that he's going to fit. How about you, Bryce? Yeah, no, I think the answer is kind of in the question in terms of yeah. she can do any of those things and you would feel good about it. If Simone yeah. Fontecchio is coming off the bench because you upgraded the three and four positions so well, or let's say Asar figures out his jump shot and now he's able to fit better in the starting lineup because of that. What, that's a great situation. If you told me Simone Fontecchio is the starting three man on the team next year, I'm feeling good about that. If you're telling me he's a starting four man because the free agent signing or the trade or whatever, I think we both believe there's a some sort of big move coming this offseason. If he needs to be the four, I'm comfortable with it. He had nine rebounds, Omari, on Saturday. He can guard a couple different positions. He's a good team defender. I thought he was active. I don't think, I think he had maybe one steal or something like that, but I thought he was involved in some more disruption even than that. And at the end of the day, he provides floor spacing. So whatever lineup you play him in, it works. My thought is, and I'm just trying to judge this kind of based on the value and what was given up and the contract that you're... Because pro- here's the difference between him and Quentin Grimes. Grimes has one more year on his rookie deal. Fontecchio is a new contract this offseason. And I know we had somebody ask about the cap hold on that. I think we're going to try to get Keith Smith next week. He can give us some more insight on there. My guess is it still wouldn't be so much that it would completely derail anything. The Pistons are going to have so much cap space. I think that cap hold is going to be so low, it won't matter. But I kind of have him penciled in as a starting three or four for next year. That's where I think. If you had to ask me today, Omari, I think Fontecchio is one of those starters at the quote-unquote wing forward position. 
Yeah, I think a lot of that will be dictated by, you know, just how strongly he finishes the season because uh, that will also dictate the type of offers he gets and restrict the free agency and what the Pistons are going to have to pay just to keep him. But yeah, the bottom line is that he could serve all of those roles. And I think a big appeal for Detroit's then was that he just gives you insurance there. I mean, he just gives you insurance for whatever role you need at the three and four, and you feel pretty good about it. That I think because you have that, you don't necessarily need Fontecchio to guide your offseason plans. If you want to upgrade to three or four, you could do that. If you want to draft a three or four, you can do that. Um, you know, I don't think he has any bearing on the strategy there. And um, and that was the appeal for Detroit, just to get a guy in who's going to be a long-term piece, regardless of the capacity of his role or how he plays from this point forward. So Sage says, hopefully we see him doing some movement shooting stuff. I saw the Jazz guys talking about it. Listen, I, I think he has real off-ball relocation, Sage. Like, I have it in my notes, and he just didn't get found in some of those situations. I also am not sure he knew all of the sets. I watched them try to run a patented one that Monty ran for Boyan, where Boyan would set a ball screen and then immediately come off a flare screen at the top of the key, and it looked like Fontecchio was a little bit confused, and then the defense was able to lock in on it. I don't think this is a guy that just stands in the corner and you alluded to this Amari he did more off the bounce in that one game than I expected to see in the three games we were going to see pre all-star break I don't think he's amazing I don't think he has a ton of wiggle but he has enough shooting gravity and then ability to attack those closeouts to get downhill straight line and then he'll just be a ball mover and those type of things Michael brings up a good point he was strictly a three in Utah so this would be a big shift to have him to the four but I'm fine with it that was also a team that played really big B-ball reference has in his two years in the NBA, like right under 20% at the four. So again, it's a thing where you could start him at the four if you had to, and then he can play, you know, if they stagger whatever, some minutes at the three. So it, it would be a little bit of a shift. I just think for me, he has the body type, the size and the rebounding ability that he could do that if they needed him to. Um, I want to touch on this. I want to shift gears just a little bit because Matt Way, always appreciate him, his support. He actually hit me up and he was very complimentary of our post-trade deadline episode. Amari, you talked about the locker room after that win over the Blazers. I actually had somebody ask me this when I guessed it on a pod as well. Like just how kind of, you know, does this team still seem like it's in a good place, tight-knit, getting along, especially when you consider how rough the season has been at times? Yeah, Um I think that's interesting in a sense that this group has never really seemed to turn on each other through everything that's going on. Um, you know, I think that this is a, a tight knit group. JD, K, Ivy, you know, set like all these guys get along really, really well. And, you know, when you go through that type of season, you're losing 28 straight games. You probably expect to see a bit more friction than what you saw. Um, I thought it was interesting. Saturday, just the first time we talked to um, Simone, Troy Brown, and Shake Milton was like after the game. Like we hadn't had any press conferences or anything just because of the road trip and, you know, just the timing of them joining the team. And Troy just, that's one thing he talked about was just how tight the group seems, like, you know, how the chemistry seems good, how it seems like a group that's serious and wants to win, which I think to sustain that through everything that's happened this season is, a pretty good vote of confidence, right? Like you have a team. Well, I, for one, they're joining a team that already is removed from that 28 game losing streak to an extent, right? A trade had already taken place and they had already been winning 
more games, you know, so just from a pure quality of play standpoint, they are a better and more improved team than the version that lost those 28 straight games. So Fontecchio, Trey Brown, you know, Shake, those guys are coming into a locker room where all the young guys are pretty tight in it. They're coming off two big wins. They've been winning more games over the past three weeks. And now you come in and it's just, how do you continue that momentum, right? So they're not coming in thinking, oh, the same stinks and we have to be saviors. The same's figuring things out and we're adding to that. And that speaks, I mean, we talked about Cade, how he stepped up as a leader through it all. Uh, I want to talk about JD, you know, because JD, I think personality-wise, has really begun to blossom a bit more this season. Like, he's the guy that keeps everybody loose. He's always getting, you know, teasing guys, getting into them. You know, he keeps the atmosphere loose. He's the one playing music after wins. Like, you start to see guys step to these certain roles. You know, like Isaiah Stewart, like, he's the leader on this team. Like, you're starting to see them step up in different ways and get more comfortable with themselves and figure things out. And I think a lot of that is just young guys growing up. Uh, you have a young team that dealt with more adversity than you ever had to think. And I think they got thoroughly humbled. Uh, we talked about the momentum they thought they would have over the offseason with all the pickup games and whatnot. And they started the season two and 29. None of that carried over at all with the injuries and everything. And you started to see small things that shows that they try to put that behind them. You know, so maybe if there's any upside to that losing streak is that it happened so early into the season that you still have so much more basketball left to play and you can sort of end the season on a better note. So I'll say all that to say, you know, the team did stick together through all of that. And I thought it was insightful to see the new guys come in yesterday. And, you know, they didn't talk like they were on a team that lost 28 straight games. They're like, the same trying to win. We competed today. They lost. They won the last two. And we could still probably do something this season, even if it's not going to be a uh, playoff berth. Well, and I think maybe not with Shake and Troy Brown as much, but with Fontecchio and Quentin Grimes, those are guys that I would assume are here for at least a few years. And so like yeah. they're kind of part of this now moving forward. I thought you really saw that. I thought Kate especially seemed to show a lot of emotion every time Fontecchio got a bucket. Like I remember specifically in the second half, Fontecchio got an and one and Kate showed a lot of emotion. I think they slapped him on the chest and stuff. They seemed to really be excited for him. You know, like you said, he had barely been around. Here's the other thing, and I hate to put this in the universe, and then this team is borderline not the worst team in the NBA anymore. Like, they are very close, even with the 28-game losing streak, Omari, to not having the worst record in the NBA. This is not something to be excited about. This is not something to, like, you know, whatever, promote. But it's just crazy. All of a sudden, I looked at the standings, and I told Wes, I'm like, they're three games back of being like 27th in the NBA. Again, that's not what we wanted. It's still a, you know, a dreadful season. Everything that happened actually happened, all of that. But it, it's just kind of crazy that, you know, this has been the bottom team in the NBA all year. They go win a few games, have a nice run out for the all-star break whenever maybe everybody's back and healthy and playing. And, and they make some ground on these. And then the conversation will shift to oh, they just screwed their draft positioning and all of that. So we'll we'll talk more about that later on. Dwayne Pierce says, I personally like the moves we made. We got younger, added defense, and kept the shooting. I think that's very important there where they added defense but kept the floor spacing. And then he says, I think this is really interesting. I want your thoughts on this, Amari. The moves will allow our young players to play. I don't think this is much about letting them play, but I think it really forces Cade, Ivy, Duran into roles where they got to really be high. They got to be the dudes. They got to go get the buckets because Fontecchio is not going to take all of Boyan's scoring. 
you know, Grimes isn't going to take all of Alec Burke's scoring. And so we're going to really see what those guys can do offensively while having the floor spacing around them and some defense to insulate them. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah, just looking at the standings, yeah, the Pistons are only one game behind the Wizards and two games behind San Antonio. And what was funny is that even throughout the 28-game losing streak, the Pistons were not still that, that much worse than those other teams. Just got net rating and everything else. Even when the Pistons have lost like 22 straight games, I think San Antonio lost 18 straight and the Pistons still had a better net rating than them. So, you know, things even out over the course of a season, but yeah, you have the Pistons dog who have won, you know, four of their last 10. Um, like same as the Brooklyn Nets, same as the Miami Heat, uh, same as the Milwaukee Bucks even. And they're just starting to figure some things out uh, to the young players stepping up. I think that was an instead of further to the trade, right? You look at K, you look at Ivy, and these guys are clearly ready to step into bigger scoring roles. And now they don't have to defer to anybody, you know, like it's their team. They don't have to, fit, you know, get Bogey his touches, Burks his touches. You don't have two veterans sort of um, taking up a huge share of the offense to get theirs. You just have two young guards who you know are, are going to create havoc and move the ball. And they've looked pretty good, you know, I think playing together these last three days. A lot of the season from here is just Kedicate and Ivy drive next to each other. They're a bit, a bit of a narrative over the past few weeks, not on our, just looking at the team's record, that they're playing better without Cade, but now they got to win with Cade and Ivy together. Um, and then both of those guys play pretty well together as well. So um, it's still a lot to figure out this season. Um, I also give like Marcus Sasser a shout out because he really stepped yep. up. And sure. like, I think he played 37 minutes against Portland, but like they don't win that game without Sasser and all the plays he made down the stretch and I know some fans were mad after yesterday's game because Sass I think only played like 12 minutes which I think some of that was just the team being healthier and you know Monty wanted to get a look at Shake Milton who's more of a guard than a wing but long story short the Pistons are going to get a lot more information I think on their core agreed over the next 30 games now that there's really no other factors sort of blocking them from doing that they're healthy the ball is in their hands and you know at, at this point it's just their team. So I think the next 30 games really set the tone for the offseason and where they continue to add to help them maximize their games. Yeah, I agree 100%. Like at the end of the day, we talked about this from the beginning. You want to know what those two guys are, whether it's, I mean, and then you need the answer, Amari. They need to know because that's going to dictate. And that's the thing, like if Kate and Ivy aren't the guys, this thing was screwed anyway, but you might as well find out as early as possible and get as much information as possible. And it's, this is way closer to a roster that gives you some of those answers. Let's get through some of these quick hitter style, Amari. Do you think... Asar will fall out of favor again once Grimes is activated. I don't think those really overlap. I'm still in the Asar stew kind of second unit front core where you can, or Muscat, you know, whoever, but play him with a big that can stretch the floor and let him kind of do the pick and roll dunker spot, those kind of things offensively. He's making impactful plays defensively, offensive rebounds, all of that stuff. Uh, we have a question about his jumper in just a second, but I, I don't think this. I don't I, I don't think anything that happened changes the minutes Asar is gonna get. Do you? I don't think so. If anything, I think the only guy that they acquired who cuts into his minutes a bit are Fontecchio, but then you also traded Boyan. So if anything, I think that kind of cancels out. And Asar to be is more of a three four. I mean, I think Grimes is almost really just a pure two. Um maybe he could defend some threes as well. Uh, but to be he's a pure off guard. So I don't see those two as competing for minutes. You know, I think Asar, a lot of what he does on offense is really more of a traditional um, 
four or five row rather than what you may say from, from like the traditional wing. Like he's getting putbacks, he's rebounding, he's working the ducker spot, he's working the baseline, cutting. And he still takes threes here and there, but that's not really his game at this point. So um, not only do they not overlap positionally, I don't think they overlap on the floor at all either. I think they're doing completely different things, except on defense where they're both probably matting the perimeter. But offensively, you know, you have Grimes up top spacing and you have yep. a, a SAR down low. So I think they actually fit together pretty well. Well, it says Grimes being able to stretch the floor, hopefully, right? Like yeah. he has a shooting touch, makes it easy. Like the more guys that can space the floor, the more you can play a guy like a SAR Thompson. And so I actually don't think that's that's not a concern for me. Derek Brown has what's more concerning, a SAR shooting or Dirk defense and he says in the future I will say I think Asar shooting is far worse than Jalen Duran's defense right now and we've seen far less flashes and potential of it being good like we've at least seen JD have flashes of being good defensively some progression even in the Clippers game yesterday I saw some more hand activity defending ball screens than what I had seen earlier in the year so I guess I'm going to go with Asar shooting, even if I think philosophically, I wonder if I believe shooting is easier to improve than defense for a big. I don't know. I don't really have to hash that out. But as people have said in the comments, how bad some of Asar's misses have been is what really concerns me. I'm hoping, because I think this is actually the best outcome. I'm hoping this has just gotten his head, Omari. Like, I hope he's just like in his head, super frustrated. And once he has an off season to gain some confidence back and all that, we'll see him come back way more improved. We knew it wasn't going to be good this year, Amari. It's it's actually been worse than what I thought even. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. Right? He's been around 14% the entire season. I would say I think Duran's defense is probably more pivotal from a franchise standpoint. Agreed. Games, I agree with but, that. Yep. Yeah, But just from an individual improvement standpoint, I like Duran's eyes to become an average defender more than I like Asar's eyes to become an average shooter because he's got a long, long way to go with that shot. And, um, you know, we talked about Asar's role sort of declining like around game 30, 35. I think his shooting was a big part of that. You know, I think when you trade for um, like a four-spacing big and – Mike Wiscala. Yep. Uh, it's just easier to have more spacing on the floor. Like previously, you're playing a SAR with uh, Duran and then other guys who can't shoot, right? Whether it's, uh, you know, Bagley or whoever else. Uh, it just crapped the spacing, I think, a lot more. So doing that's allowed a SAR to just haul in what he's good at a bit more, where he's screening, he's rebounding, he's doing all those things. But He's going to have to get in the lab this offseason for sure. Because just the way he shot this season, I think realistically, you see a guy shoot like that and you don't necessarily expect that guy to ever become a plus shooter, right? There's like a certain baseline you want to see that he hasn't hit yet. So he's got a long, long way to go in that area. And I want to be clear, there there is a path to him being a functional, good offensive player without the shot. Now, it, it's yeah. way harder but you have to be able to time your cuts from the corner. You have to learn like the Draymond DHO stuff when people aren't guarding you. And then it limits who you can play with on the floor. So it's not like, oh, if the shot never comes, he can't be an NBA player. I'm not saying that. I don't think either of us are saying that, but it has been concerning. Andrew S says, love the pod. Do you think the new assistant coach they brought in plays a role in the improved defense lately with the better execution? I don't have any insight to that. I don't know if you do, Amari. I do feel like there's at least more possessions throughout the game where I'm like, huh, 
that that was pretty good. Like that that was good rotations. Oh, everybody's involved on the ball screen defense there, and they executed it well. Again, I thought the Clippers game overall, the defense was pretty good. They just have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George who are really, really good and better than anybody the Pistons have. I don't know if you have insight into if this was specifically the coaching staff addition or not, um, but I do know I like how it looks, and Andrew, appreciate the shout-out. Yeah, so Brian Adams has been with the team pretty much since the first week of January, but I think the extent that he set up the defense is really, really hard to quantify. Um, I know just from an overall just organizational and just knowledge, depth of knowledge standpoint, he has helped his coaching staff a good amount. Um, I asked Monty about that a week or two ago, and he was very complimentary of what um, he's added to that coaching staff, Brian Adams. But the extent that I credit him to the defense improving, I think that's hard to quantify. I think a lot of it is just, you know, players playing better on that end. Like whether that's totally because of him or not, it's tough to say. Um, You know, I tend to not credit individual people for those improvements. I think it takes a lot of moving parts for anything to happen. Kind of like the losing streak, you know, like people say, well, it's this person's fault or that person's fault. Like it's everybody's fault. Like you don't lose that many games without one person can be responsible for that level of failure, right? So, um, like I do think Brian Adams has helped his coaching staff out a lot just to have somebody else in there. Um, when you were one short um, coaching staff-wise all season, and I think the franchise actually wishes they had brought somebody in sooner uh, just to kind of take that load off of some of the other coaches. So, there could be some impact as far as that, but I wouldn't just say Brian Adams is the reason why the defense has improved. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. So DC from Twitter, any insights on the Stu? Like when is the, do we know, do we have a reevaluation day or anything like that? Yeah, like his reevaluation window was right around the time that they played their last game of the season in, in Phoenix. So my guess is that they're just going to keep him out to after All-Star break instead of just bringing him back for that one game. But we'll see. But his reevaluation window is coming up like in a couple of days. Rashad, which of Troy Brown or Shake Milton do you think has the best chance of being with the team long term, at least beyond this season? So just real quick, both of these guys, like I think it's five, four million dollar contracts. They're on under contract for next year, but both of them are non-guaranteed. So essentially uh, expiring deals. I think I would have to pick Troy Brown just because I think this team has more guards and enough guards, to be quite honest. I mean, if Quentin Grimes plays some of the three, he can obviously play the two. You have Sasser, Caden Ivey. We've talked about that. I like Malachi Flynn. I realize the rest of the fan base isn't going to get super excited. I think he is an NBA guard that you can have in a rotation. The size stuff with him and Sasser is another conversation. Anyway, I think Troy Brown being a little bit more of a true wing, I think this team learned you can never have too many wings, especially ones that can play a little bit of defense and make some shots and space the floor. I would say Troy Brown, unless that makes him more valuable on the market. But I think my answer would still be Troy Brown. I would say Troy Brown, too. He just plugs a much bigger hole as a 3 and D wing. Jake, I think, can play make and defend. He's like a big guard. But his shooting has been really up and down in his career. And he's not shot the ball well at all this season. So I think that just limits his fit uh, long term more so than it does with Troy Brown, where it's pretty easy to see how he makes his team better. All right, last thing here. Questions about the starting lineup. So, Salih Sakira says, Ivy, Cade, Grimes, Simone, Duran. This is the one I kind of like. Dwayne Pierce says, Cade, Ivy, Asar, Stu, and Duran. I don't think, I think he was saying like, is that what we're going to see? I don't think he's promoting that or wanting that. And then just elevated says, thoughts on the starting lineup of Ivy, Cade, Ivy, Grimes, Fontecchio, and Duran. So, the same thing we got earlier. Where do you think? I, I 
I am fully on board on this Isaiah Stewart off the bench, third big thing. Like we've talked about it at nauseum. We don't need to get into it anymore. I think him and Asar make a lot of sense. Make Muscala kind of the quote unquote fifth big, third center, however you want to look at it. I like that. I don't love the size with Grimes and Fontecchio, but I don't mind that either. That would essentially make your second unit, Amari, Sasser, Milton, Troy Brown, Asar and Duran, unless I'm missing somebody. But again, if we could stagger minutes, you can figure that thing out and, and, and make that work. So what do you think? Let's just starting lineup. What do you think that ends up assuming health for the entire roster? Yeah, it's tough for me to predict if Grimes will start or not. Just having, you know, just not seen him play with the Pistons yet. And I'm like, I'm, I'm aware of what he, he brings. I think it's tough for me to uh, this up as a starter, especially with him being six four. Like you have Ji, you have K. You know, I wonder if you just kind of go to have more size because sure. there's going to be some teams that just sort of really punish you for being that that small. I can see Fontecchio starting at the, the three. When Stu comes back, I'm curious to see if they stick with him at the four and five. I can see Stu starting, and then maybe Durant's the first sub out. They shift Stu up to the five. They bring Asar in, and then maybe bring Grimes in there, and that could work. Um, there's a lot of things that I have to figure out. I think it's really hard for me to predict lineups at this point, just having not seen everybody that they traded for play yet. But I would say I think Fontecchio, if Saturday is any indicator, then you probably feel pretty good as soon as you're starting three or four. Kate, Ivy, Dura obviously are going to start. Uh, the stars were really good off of the bench. Like he started against Portland just because of the injury and, and trade situation. But he's been pretty good in that role, so... Um, that's very much a, a TBD for me. I wish I had more to offer there, but I got to see some of these guys make their deb- debuts before I could speculate on that. And I was, I think long-term Grimes coming off the, like a Sasser Grimes backcourt really is exciting to me. I think that's, yeah. I think my issue, my hung up right now is I don't love Asar at the four with Duran because Duran can't stretch the floor. I don't love Stu starting at the four as much, even though, like you said, you could have a quick sub there. Like, do you just start Mascala and play him 10 minutes like they did on Saturday just because you don't really have that four man that you want, but he does space the floor? Like, I don't think anybody would be happy about that. It it will just, it will be interesting. There are still flaws on the roster, Amari. I think we know that. I think they plugged a couple, right? With Fontecchio, with Grimes. They have a top five pick this coming off season. They have $60 million in cap space. Can they make those moves? Can they hit home runs on those to kind of really round out what the starting lineup should be, what the second unit should be? Whenever we come back next week, we will have some of these answers, at least in terms of what the organization is thinking and feeling. Last two things here, Doug McMiniman, always got to give him a shout out, man, because he's always here. He was talking about the 300 live viewers on Thursday. Wait until this team starts making playoff runs. Doug, trust me, we have this conversation all the time that we can't wait to see how much interaction and engagement we get when this team is actually good. So we talk about it. And then he says, obviously, it is Super Bowl Sunday. He said, good luck today, Bryce. Him, as a Bengals fan, the 49ers are always the enemy, LOL. Um, I will be watching the Super Bowl by myself, recorded where I can fast forward through all the worthless commercials that I don't care about, halftime that I don't care about, and I will be watching by myself. Omari, where will you be watching the Super Bowl? Uh, I'm probably going to meet up with a friend in LA today to watch it. 
Um, I'm saying this to gritted teeth. Uh, good luck to your Chiefs. No, I'm not salty gritted, at all. Gritted? What did my Chiefs do to the Lions? We didn't beat you. We didn't do anything. Why is this a I Chiefs know. thing? I'm just being like, it's not, I have no, I, this I have was no beef a with, Lions, the, with the Chiefs. I'm just being salty. If I'm just this was salty. a Lions-Ravens Super Bowl, I would be 100% support of the Detroit Lions winning that game. I want everybody okay. to know that. The only matchup where I wouldn't have been supportive of that, everybody knows. Okay, but that's fair. That's Here's fair. the thing. I see your Chiefs with a smile. I've come to understand this, Amari. Like, everybody hates the Chiefs, and I get it. Like, yeah. I understand it. Like, the whole Kelsey, Taylor Swift thing annoys people. Patrick Mahomes has won enough now and is on so many commercials. Everybody hates them. I get it. Like, I understand why nobody wants them to win. Like, I truly do. Um, and that's why I essentially fan about the Chiefs by myself, off social media, no Super Bowl party for me, anything like that. So... Yeah, I actually like Mahomes. Like I saw somebody compare them to like the the the, the Patriots with Brady, but I'm not there at all. I think his solid play is always really fun. Like I like Kelsey. Like I like some of the guys on that team. So no, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Like I definitely would rather see the Chiefs win than the Niners, just because it's weird. Okay, so on one hand, like I like the Chiefs more than the Niners. On the other hand, my philosophy has always been. You want the team that eliminated you from the playoffs to, to win it all, because sure, yeah. it's because it's better to win to the loser. I mean, it's better to lose to the winner. lose to the winner than to lose to the team that, hit, that ends up losing. But I'm taking your Chiefs tonight, Bryce, um, and I think it'll be a good game too. I think it'll be a good game too. And I'm going to forgive your Usher Snyder as well. No, like I, I like Usher. I just okay. it's a priority yeah. thing. There's one okay. priority once this game hits, and it's the game. I could care less. Like. My favorite artist ever, you know, like whoever could be for, you know, I don't care. If I want to watch it, I'll go back and watch it after the fact. I am watching it on first watch. I am fast forwarding through that thing, which is means. So the game starts at like 530 my time. I will record and I will pu- I will wait two hours to start the game. I'll go find something else to do. I'll watch some Ted Lasso or something for two hours so I can fast forward through all of that stuff that I don't care about. Wes says, I hope one day everybody hates the Lions for all of these same reasons that they hate the Chiefs, which of course, Wes is alluding to the amount of winning the Chiefs have done over the last five years. So, all right, well, that's enough Super Bowl talk. Um, Hopefully, we won't talk about it next Sunday, win or lose, because if they lose, I don't want to talk about it, and so then it's not fair if they win that we do talk about it. So, we'll cut it off. If they win, I'll congrats you. If they win, I'll Okay. I will not take yeah. any victory laps. I promise. So hopefully um, I reached out to Keith Smith. We're hoping we can get him on. He can break down the deadline for us. Look to the future. All of those things. If not, we'll have a couple games to talk about. All-star break. All of those things. And real soon, Amari, NBA draft stuff is coming really, really soon. We can start yeah. diving into that as well. So should be a lot of fun. Today was a great episode. Thank you for everybody tuning in. It was a really good turnout again for a Sunday morning. So we appreciate all of you. If you're listening Please subscribe. All of those things help us grow. Rate, review on Apple, Spotify. We'll read those if you drop a a good review there on Apple. Thank you as always. Amari, take it away, my guy. All right, I'll close this out. Big thanks to our audio producer, Robin Chen, our editor-in-chief, Nicole Avery Nichols, our executive producer, Arjunet Delgado, and our sports editor, Kirkland Crawford. And big shout out to Wes as always. And we'll talk to you all next week.